Hello, and welcome to the Church 860 podcast. My name is Pastor Chris, and I'm the lead pastor of Church 860 located in Westerville, Ohio. Our podcast will have daily episodes uploaded where we have curated some of the best Bible teaching from across the globe. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Uh, Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you and praise you that you're an awesome God and that you do awesome things, that you are a God of the miraculous, a God that speaks through signs and wonders, a God that wants to speak to us, Father, in a supernatural way. I pray, Father, that we'd be bold enough uh, to step out in faith, Father, to trust in you, to walk, Father, uh, uh, by faith, to take your hand, Father, and to go to a place that we would never go. Uh, I pray, Father, that uh, we would just uh, learn, understand, and, and Father, uh, trust in you uh, more today than ever before. We thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, the great things that you've been doing, and we give you all the glory, Father. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. We're uh, right in the middle of First Kings, and we said this is where things start to pick up the pace a little bit, and we've been going through... If you've been with us, a kind of boring succession of kings. So-and-so, a king, and a king, and a king, and a good king, and a bad king. And we're trying to understand what's been happening in the history of Israel. So we're, we're still back there. You know, uh, David was 1,000 B.C. These guys are sometimes around 900 B.C. before Jesus even shows up. You're seeing a history of Israel. And it's important to watch the history of Israel because you see Israel be... Uh, uh, the apple of God's eye, uh, uh, something that's so precious, and we watch it deteriorate and go down the tubes. And then we watch God resurrect the nation of Israel and put it back on the map. And for us as believers, it's important to see that, that God works through our lives. And sometimes we're on top of the hill and sometimes we're in the valley of the shadow of death. And sometimes you say, as Israel was as a, as a person, you can see how it rises and falls and it's being sustained by God. And it's important to look at that history. And if we've seen the history we're, we're watching, where it was once strong, it's now divided into the north and to the south. And we saw that the south was going to be uh, more uh, steadfast in God because it had the temple, it had the priests, it was a little bit more of a righteous nation. To the north, we've been watching the last week we talked about it, that it was just getting uglier and uglier and uglier. Sin was abounding. Wicked things were going on. Until we finally came to this King Ahab, a succession of kings, and Ahab is going to be the worst of the worst. He's going to be a, a, a wicked king. And we've watched how he, he turned around last week at the end of uh, chapter 16, we were talking about how he, he didn't think it was anything big. It was a trivial thing to turn his nose up at God and to pursue worshiping the false god Baal. And we were talking about Baal and the fertility and the land being fertile was what you're supposed to get out of worshiping Baal. And we were talking about how King Ahab, king of Israel, who should at least know who God is, and their term for God was Jehovah or Yahweh, and here we're watching this, this, the Jewish God being thrown to the trash and all of a sudden they're picking up the foreign pagan God of Baal. And they're starting to worship this Baal. And so King Ahab, instead of marrying a good old Jewish gal, he marries Jezebel, the famous Jezebel, which is going to be a, a daughter of 
of a king up to the north of this place called Sidon, the Sidians. And, uh, and up there, she's going to come in and try and bring her worship of Baal into the kingdom and really try to destroy the kingdom. And so now Ahab marries this girl. And, uh, uh, and now we're watching, if you would, in the darkest, bleakest point of, of Israel turning its back on God in open defiance with this King Ahab. You're going to watch God come in and say, I'm still not giving up. I'm still speaking to my people and I want them to get a message. And as what they do is they start to, they start to sit down and, and hear from a prophet. And God is saying, I, I want, I want you to understand the words of the prophet who's trying to come in and say, don't go there. And God always speaks to us. And I like that. When we are getting ready to sin, do something stupid, it's that nagging voice of the Holy Spirit that wants to come in, tap us on the shoulder and say, don't go there, don't go there, don't go there. And, and really, we, we kind of hate that guilty conscience, but in all reality, that's it's the role of the prophet, but it's, it's, it's a gift from God saying that, that there's still a struggle going on. The day that we don't have that struggle going on is the day that our heart is hardened and we've fallen over to the dark side. And so God's raising up Elijah. And so we're being introduced to Elijah here in chapter 17, verse 1. It says, Now Elijah the Tishmanite, who was of the settlers of Gilead, uh, and he's going to come up to Ahab, and he's going to speak to Ahab, the wicked king, in his sin. And he says, As the Lord God of Israel lives. So he's an old-time prophet. Fire and brimstone, if you would. And he's going to say, As the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, surely there shall, not, uh, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. So we're seeing a stark introduction, if you would, to this character Elijah. And he's going to walk up to the wicked king and he says, Here, you're trying to worship Baal. Baal is supposed to bring in fertility. He's supposed to make the land fertile, bring forth rain. Well, since you're going to go pursue this false god, here's a trick for you. It's not going to rain. And as we're going to find out, it's not going to rain for three and a half years. And Elijah comes up. I don't think he knows for how long it's going to be. Maybe he does, but he's going to turn around and say, for three and a half years, it's not going to rain until I say so. I'm telling you something. You better start to learn to listen to me because if you want crops and crops is going to equal to eat and it's going to equal survival, it's got to equal the economy, it's got to equal everything to get food, Elijah's going to come right up and he's going to speak forth as a radical um, kind of John the Baptist kind of prophet that's there with his leather belt and camel uh, uh, skin, uh, uh, camel uh, hairs, you know, coat which is uncomfortable, which is he's, he's still this radical guy as we start to learn who this Elijah is. I guess if you understand, uh, when John the Baptist was to be born, Zechariah, his father, was in the temple and uh, the angel Gabriel comes up to Zechariah and says, you're going to have a son. His name is going to be John. Well, I guess he tells him that later. And, uh, but he's going to be of the spirit and the power of Elijah. And it's interesting what he says. He says he's going to, uh, speaking of John the Baptist, 
I guess he's going to say, if you're going to be like John the Baptist is going to be like Elijah, but he says, he says, you're going to turn the hearts of their fathers back to their sons. It's an interesting saying. So if John the Baptist is supposed to be like Elijah, then maybe that was Elijah's role to fulfill that thing, to turn the hearts of their fathers back to their sons. You hear that and you go, wait a second, shouldn't it be you want to you want to turn their their sons back to the father's hearts because the fathers were such great men and it's kind of cool because he's saying no uh, uh what the spirit of elijah and the power of elijah and elijah is going to be a radical prophet i i think you're going to find out that that he's second only to jesus in the bible for the amount of miracles he's going to perform He's going to raise the dead if we can get to that part of this chapter. He's going to be doing everything, calling down fire from heaven. Elijah is probably one of the most colorful, flamboyant, radical preachers you're going to find. And yet the very role, the role of of Elijah or John the Baptist, if he's supposed to come in the same spirit of him, is to turn the hearts of the fathers back to their children. Trying to say, let's care about the little ones, the innocents trying to put a little bit more compassion into the nation of Israel to prepare the way of the Lord. That was the role of John the Baptist. That was the role of Elijah. And he's there to preach repentance. And you're going to find out that the way that Elijah is, and especially John the Baptist, if we can see parallel paths there, they're both very hard, very difficult people to get along with. They're stubborn, they're obstinate people, John the Baptist, and we'll see that in Elijah as well, that they're of the same spirit, the same mindset. And Elijah was a very tough guy. He was an in-your-face, radical preacher, hellfire and brimstone. He's screaming at you, and he's only going to tell you once, and then you're going to suffer the consequences. Very interesting that the way that God is going to bring about compassion to turn the father's hearts back to their sons to be a little bit more tenderly father, fatherly and more softer is going to be by coming at you by being harder and tougher on you. Interesting. So we're going to be introduced to this Elijah. And he's coming up and what does he says? He walks right up to the king and he says, here, not a long speech. It's not going to rain until I say so. And then you're going to find out that he's going to walk out the door and he's going to leave him there. And it's an interesting thing to say, here's God's truth. I'm throwing it at you, says Elijah. He's a Tishmanite. He's really not even of, of, uh, of, of Judah to the north or to the south. He's from Gilead. Gilead was on the other side of the Jordan. And here he is. He's one of the settlers over there. So he's really from out of the country, which was part of the country. Um, a providence of it, let's just say. And he's coming back in and he just walks right up to the king and he's going to lay it on him. Now we're going to find out that Ahab's got some problems with Elijah because there's a history we're going to find out. He's going to call him the troubler of Israel. And uh, he's obviously has a past with him. But this is our first introduction to him. We don't know a lot of some of the earlier things, but he walks right up to the king and says, look, Here's the, I I don't have to be eloquent. I'm just going to say, as the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, I stand before God. I'm not ashamed of him. You, you can run from him, but surely there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. And the word of the Lord came to him saying, so, okay, you just delivered the word and now it's God speaking back to Elijah. 
<coughs> and he says, go away from here, turn eastward, and hide yourself from the, uh, by the brook uh, Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. So go back home, if you would. Go back up there and hide. And it shall be that you shall drink of the brook and, uh, that I have commanded, and the ravens to provide for you there. So he went and he did according to the word of the Lord. For he went and he lived by the brook uh, Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. And the ravens uh, brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he would drink from the brook. So here he is. God's providing. The idea is that, okay, you speak God's word and then I want you to go away because it's not going to rain. Everyone's going to be looking for you. Everyone's going to be hunting for you. But the beautiful part of the message is he's got to be supernaturally provided for. So you think, well, how am I going to eat? How am I going to drink? How am I going to survive? And all of a sudden we can see that God is going to survive and take care of these things. Uh, I mean, Elijah's got to survive and take care of these things because God's going to supernaturally provide. And I think sometimes as we, if we're going to learn anything from Elijah to be a radical man of God, sometimes we're forced to speak radical things in faith. I don't know about you, but would you really want to go up and say, man, God's so mad at Columbus right now that it's not going to rain in Columbus until I say so. That's a pretty gutsy statement. And, uh, you know, we could try sometimes to pray and we like to sometimes take baby steps in our faith. And we like to say, well, Lord, I, I can try going this far. This is a little bit outside of my parameter. And here you go, <laughs> this is big <laughs> to turn around and to say, it's not going to rain until I say so. Now, you could argue this on whether it was around the world. It didn't rain on the, the you know, or in the nation of Israel or a local situation here. But either way you cut it, it's a gutsy call. And Elijah's that type of gutsy guy who's going to come up and says, I know what the Lord wants. I know what the Lord is telling me, which are critical points to cross in your life. And then to say, I'm going to speak it with boldness. And then I know that I'm going to be provided for by God. I mean, can you imagine sitting there by the brook and staring off into space and saying, gee, uh, what am I doing up here? And every morning, how am I supposed to eat? And a little raven comes by and drops down a little hamburger for you. And then, you know, you always got this little brook right here. And I'm sure that every day he sat down, he watched the brook. And as the drought was starting to take hold, he's watching the brook get drier and drier and drier. It's not going to continue to go. And so what happens when the brook runs out? He's going to provide in a different way. So he says, uh, verse 7, and it happened after a while that the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. The word of the Lord came to him saying again, he says, Arise, go to Zarephath, uh, which belongs to Sidon, and stay there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. So now he's saying, get up and move again. And he wants him to go to Sidon. And if you go back to chapter 16, Verse 31, you're seeing that Jezebel was from Sidon. And now he's really saying, you go back to uh, uh, Jezebel's hometown. You're at your hometown, now go back to Jezebel's hometown. And the drought is going to affect even her. Her and her worship of Baal, the false god. And they think that their god's going to provide for something, and it's not. 
And all of a sudden he says, you go back there to this town in Zareth, and uh, which belongs to Sidon, and you stay there. Behold, I have commanded a widow, someone who has what? Their husband that has died. A widow there is to provide for you. So normally you are to provide for a widow, right? That was a commandment through Deuteronomy and everyone else. You're supposed to take care of the widows. And here it's the widow is going to take care of you. And stay there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. So he arose and he went to Zareth. Zarephath. And there he came to the gate of the city. And behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and he said, um, hey, please get me a little water in a jar that I may drink. And as uh, she was going to get it, she was obedient. He called to her and he said, please bring me a piece of bread in your hand as well. So he walks up to the gate, doesn't know her from Adam, if you would. And he makes this request. But she said, ah, as the Lord your God lives, I have no bread only a handful of flour in a bowl and a little oil in the jar. We're, you know, scraping the cupboard dry here. We've got next to nothing left. And behold, I am gathering a few sticks that I may go in and prepare for me and my son that we may eat it and die. So look, we only got our last meal left. We're going to take our last meal. We're starving to death here. The drought is rather severe. I'm a widow. I don't have a lot. And I'm going to go in there and die. And you're asking me to get you a piece of bread. And then Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go. Do as you have said. But make me a little bread cake from it first. Isn't that kind of greedy of the the, the preacher? To go up and and, uh, the prophet and to say, You give to me first. And bring it out to me, and afterwards you may make one for yourself and for your sons. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, The bowl of flour shall not be exhausted, nor shall the jar of oil be empty. It's going to perpetually always just magically fill itself. Until until the day that the Lord sends rain on the face of the earth. So she went in and did according to the word of Elijah. And she and he and her household ate for many days. The bowl of flour was not exhausted, nor did the jar of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke through Elijah. So here it is. He walks up and he says, look, give me something to eat. And she goes, look, I only got the last, you know, sandwich to go here. He goes, well, you give it to me first. And God will provide. And you're watching now. He's saying, if you step out in faith, if you trust me, if you give to me first, trust in the Lord first, then God will provide and give an abundance back and he will sustain you. So you're watching the prophet as he's starting to speak forth the the boldness on which he he operates. And he's a man that says, you got to give to God. You got to risk a little for God. And if you're willing to risk a little for God, to be determined to give to God, God is going to provide for us. That's the whole key to faith, is having a dependency upon God. Faith is, 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 is going into the unknown when you can't see where you're going. It, it's stepping out and God is going to work through, he always works through us having faith. Without faith, 
It is what? It is impossible to please God. So you're watching then that uh, with Elijah, that it, it, if he speaks anything to us, he's saying you can never hedge your bets. And all of us like to hedge our bets. We like to give God just a little bit. <coughs> and we like to say, well, well, Lord, if I failed or if it all falls apart, then I'm okay. I've only lost a little. And that's the way any wise man, I guess, would, would, would operate. You never put all your eggs in one basket. And when it comes to God, God is saying it's just the opposite. You put all your eggs in one basket. You have to step out in faith and trust God completely. Or else you're only hedging and you're only going to get limited or minimal results. <coughs> Excuse me. That's where this whole thing of Baal came in. Because they're saying what? Well, you know, we got God. We got Jehovah. But, you know, he may not come through with us. So why don't we just in case also worship this other God, Baal? Why don't we worship a lot of gods? Because that way, if we don't know which one's really true, well, I guess we've covered the bases. We've, you know, one of them was bound to, to be the right one and will work out in the end. And God says, that's not the way you come to me. You got to come to me by stepping out and believing in me and having faith. I always think of, uh, I don't know, it's the Indiana Jones movie, one of the last ones where, you know, it was so cool. He had a, he finally goes to go get the Holy Grail and he had to have the step of faith and he's walking out over this cliff and, and, you know, there's, there's an invisible beam that, that's there that he can walk across, but he can't see it. But he has to take a step of faith and he's walking across the big, you know, gulch there on this invisible beam and, and, and kind of saying, I have to step out in faith. And in a sense, that's kind of what the Lord's asking us to do sometimes is to step out and to be to be diligent for for faith, for God and say, Lord, I'm going to risk a lot. I'm going to step out over the cliff here and I could fall down. Logic would tell me I'm going to fall down the edge of the cliff and die. But all of a sudden, if I God bless you, (laughs) isn't there something about giving a prophet a cup of cold water and you get a prophet's reward? But you have to be willing to to step out into faith and you have to be willing to turn around and say, Lord, I want to trust you with all that I I have. That's what faith is. Faith is willing to say, hey, look, I'm going to I'm going to pursue the things of God just as if I would pursue the things of this world. There's a comparison there. If you're with us last week, we were talking about the last verse of uh, chapter 16. And there it says, in his days, in Ahab's days, it says there is this guy, Hale, Hale, well, however you want to pronounce that, of Beth, uh, uh, the Bethlehite, built, he built Jericho. Remember how we said that God came in and destroyed Jericho, ripped apart the walls of Jericho. And at that time, Joshua came in and he prophesied and says, anybody who's going to rebuild the walls of Jericho, whoever would be this stupid, we said, right? He says, uh, when he lays its foundation, the loss of uh, the firstborn is going to happen. And it says, of course, as the foundation of Jericho is being rebuilt, the firstborn, the oldest of his sons, is going to die to fulfill that. And he set up its gates with the loss of his youngest son, uh, Segub, uh, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun. And we, we spoke about last week the diligence of some people that are going to pursue sin. If you're so bound and determined to rebuild Jericho and you're saying, I don't care if it even costs me, my oldest son is going to die and my youngest son is going to die when we hang the gates of the city. I don't care. I want the city rebuilt. That, that determination, right, 
for sin. And we were, we were wrestling with that point, whether or not this guy knew what the prophecy was. He knew that it was going to cost him his kids. And he says, I don't care if it costs me my kids. I want the city rebuilt. And, and to the same level, you're watching now where God's saying, do we have that same level of commitment to turn around and to say, you know what, I don't care what the cost is. I know I want to serve the Lord. I'm bound and determined to serve and to worship God and to step out into faith and to say, look, here's the widow. She's got nothing. And, and the idea is to say, you, you give first to God. You, you have to sometimes say, Lord, I need to make a sacrifice. I need to give something to you first. And then God says, I see your faith and God reciprocates that back. God first loved us. He sent his son to die for us. He's the one that moved first in all things. We're not, I don't ever want to teach the, the teaching that you have to do something and then God is going to respond. So first, you have to sometimes understand that God sent his son to die for you. That God has first loved us, that God has given us his word to explain to us the things that are necessary. But it's an equally difficult truth, and it's something that must be taught to say that you're never going to grow as a Christian. You're never going to receive the blessings as a Christian unless you're willing to risk and to walk by faith. If you always want to hedge your bets, and say, God, I'm too afraid, I'm too much of a coward to step out, you're never going to see that fruit of the riches of the power of God in your life. You'll always be limited. Now, you can sit here and say, God, I I just want to be saved. I want to confess you as Lord. Fine, you'll be saved. But Elijah, someone who's there to impact people and to have the power in his life to say, it's not going to rain until I say so. If we are looking to have those type of results in our lives, we have to be willing to put all of our eggs in one basket, to know what the Lord is telling us to do, to speak it with boldness, and to be obedient towards the calling. That's radical. Turn with me to James chapter 5, and this will be a a verse you're going to hear quoted over and over and over again, just because it, it rings so true. just before Peter, James. And in James chapter 5, this is a radical statement. Uh, 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 James is just talking about prayer. He says, uh, verse 13, he says, uh, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. He says, "Is, is, uh, Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praises. If anyone among you is sick, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. We like to have oil up here, and if you need to have oil anointed on you, or uh, we'll, we'll anoint you with oil and we'll pray for you. And it says, "In the prayer offered in what faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up, And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Therefore, 
confess your sins one to another and pray for one another. Okay, this is all good logic coming at us. When you go to church, you're sick, you need people to come up and pray for you. And God is going to heal the sick. And it says, uh, confess your sins one to another. So you want to confess yourself as a sinner. Confess Jesus Christ as Lord. You're going to pray for one another so that you may be healed. God's in the healing business, the supernatural. And then our, our verse, the sentence is, the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. And then James turns around and he says, now Elijah... Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours. And he's going to say, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the sky poured forth rain, and the earth produced its fruit. So did you hear that? I like that. Sometimes when I read the Bible... I hear Jesus and you go, ah, Jesus is the son of God. He's laying hands on people. He's casting out demons. And, you know, good for him. He's God. He can do things like that. And James wants to turn around and says, okay, why don't we try and be, uh, you know, it's kind of hard to walk in Jesus' shoes. Why don't we, though, though, think about we can walk in Elijah's shoes. Elijah was a man just like you and me. What's the old saying? He puts his pants on the same way as everyone else, one leg at a time. He's no different than you and I. He has the same nature as any one of us. He's nothing special. He's just a guy that was determined in his heart to be faithful. And if he was faithful, he bore forth results, meaning you and I could turn around and pray if the Lord let us and says it's not going to rain for three and a half years. That's a crazy thought. It's a crazy thought that you're going to be able to do something supernatural. Anything supernatural is a bizarre thought. I mean, if you're going to do something physical and change the physical realm around you, right? You're going to turn around and say, Lord, I don't want it to rain. I'm going to control the environment through prayer. The spiritual realm has got to supersede over the physical realm. That's what it's saying. If you're willing to have faith, trust in the word of God, not hedging your bets. Is there any difference between it not raining for three and a half years and someone coming up with a broken leg, busted in half, and you turning around and saying, Lord, here's the sick. They got a broken leg. I'm going to say in the name of Jesus Christ, be healed. And the leg is going to be knit back together immediately. And someone's going to walk out the door, throw the crutches aside and walk out. Wow. Well, we would like to think people could be healed. There's physical things that need to happen just to, to, uh, to, that, that need to be touched by the supernatural. That's the whole idea of what a miracle is. is you're going to sit down and say, Lord, I want to be in the spirit. I want to be a righteous man. I want to walk faithfully with you. I need to step out in faith and believe. And just as Elijah, and we look at Elijah, and he says he's just another person like you and me. He had his weaknesses. He had his failings. He had his problems, and he's going to be a radical guy, but we're going to see he's going to have his Achilles heel too. He's going to have a weak spot. He's going to fall apart at the seams. And yet God used someone like him, someone like you, to do great things. I just read that, and I go, wow, that's, it's, that's what it's saying. It's saying Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He was a fallen, sinful man. It's not like it's...
clouded, that he might not, that it might not rain, and it did not rain. And I go, well, Lord, that's what I want to be. I want to be able to do what? I want to confess my sins. Lord, I'm a sinner, but Lord, use me, and the Lord will. He'll do supernatural things. We've seen several supernatural healings in our church. And you go, wow, people come up and they say, Dave, you know, I had the broken leg, blah, 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 blah. After you prayed for me, I went to the doctor. It was fine. I'm like, no way. Yeah, way. I'm like, wow, Dave, you know, we had cancer. You know, we had this, we have that. And people are like, you know, all these things are going wrong with us. And there's a string of miracles that have happened through the church that God is still doing. And you go, no way. And God takes care of it. God works. And God will work if we're going to stretch and, and, and reach and say, Lord, I want to trust in you. God can change the natural realm. What we think is just going to happen. And, and, he's, and, and we can be as Elijah. Elijah's a guy just like us. He's confronting a problem. He's going to be bold. He wants to reach out. And it comes down to, and it's, it's, a, it's just a picture to say, hey, sometimes you've got to say, Lord, first I want to give. I want to take my last meal, everything I've got. My last, you know, two uh, uh, denarii or, or the last two cents of the, the last two mites of the widow, you're going to put into the box and say, Lord, I'm going to trust. I want to give everything that I can. I'm going to take all that I am, God, and give beyond what I'm able. And God says, then I'll take care of you. And God's looking for, for people that are going to be saying, Lord, I, I, I'm willing to give all that I can. I'm not hedging my bets. I'm trusting in you. So it turns around, it says, uh, the bowl's there, she's now eating, everybody's having a good time, and it's even Jesus who's turning around, and what is he saying? Jesus is the one in Luke chapter 4, and he's even saying, you know what, uh, when Elijah had to do a miracle, he had to leave town, because uh, even God's own children, the uh, the Israelites, they didn't believe, when when Jesus, or when, when Elijah did a miracle, he had to go up north to a widow up inside, and he had to leave leave the country to find somebody who had enough faith to be obedient. Meaning, here's God. He's he's looking at his children, and he says, "says nobody here even is trying to pursue me. They're busy pursuing Baal. And if that's what they want to do is is to is to serve Baal, then let them. But I'm going to go over here to a foreigner, and this foreigner who will listen to the word of the Lord." And even though she says, as your God lives, and she's even saying, I know that you're from the God Jehovah, and I'm willing to trust out even in your God. And then she's going to turn around, and uh, I think eventually she's going to say, my God. And she's going to understand the personal value of what God is able to do. But here it is. Jesus points it out and says, isn't that sad that the people that should know what faith in God is don't have it? And sometimes uh, the foreigner uh, knows more about the simplicity of God and the power of God than the child of God. That's a sad statement. Uh, I think uh, there are people that are not born again. Uh, They go to church and they watch some preacher up there who's acting shamefully as a cheap charlatan, pulling off hokey, exaggerated stories, the non-believer just scratches his head and says, that's just a bunch of garbage. This guy's just after my wallet. He can discern that. He can see that. He walks out the door. 
And it's sad how so many Christians, I'm astounded, that think that they're God-fearing people, sit down there and listen to some of the tripe that's thrown up from some pulpit sometimes and people just sit there and they take it and they take it and they take it and they throw money in the plate and they walk out the door. And and it's sad. It's sad when the non-believer walks into a church and says, this is a joke. This is as phony and as fake as you can get. And and I would want to present my church so that when a non-believer walks in, they'd say, hey, he presented the truth. I can think about it. He wasn't taking anything. Uh, it was a nice, comfortable time. At least they can walk out the door and say, they've given me something to think about. But unfortunately, I've wondered, I've scratched my head and says, why would anybody go back to that church? And so many God-fearing Christians sit down and tolerate such wicked deception from so many you know, false preachers. They abound. They're thieves and wolves just fleecing the flock day after day after day after day. And, and here, God says, look, I'm not even working with somebody. The people that should know what, uh, uh, what, what I'm about, they don't even know anything. This is what Jesus is saying, right? Jesus walks into Jerusalem and, uh, or he's there and, and, they're, and he's saying a, a prophet's not welcome in his hometown. And, and he turns around and he says, look, even Elijah, he couldn't even preach to his own people. The, the Israelites should know. And you and I as Christians should know. And, and it's sad if you and I, as the children of God, the Christians, we don't walk by faith and we won't even trust our own God. And we have to sit down and say, Lord, I gave my life to you. And I, I, of all people, should be willing to take the last of everything I've got and trust you, God, with it. And when a, a, a non-believer can pick it up and say, well, gee... Uh, I guess if I need to do anything right, I, I need to start walking the right way. Sad when the world can be more righteous than the church. And so we're watching then where it goes on and Elijah's now going to come to a stumbling block, and some, or not a stumbling block, a, a bump in the road. It says, verse 17 says, Now it came about after these things that the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became sick. And his sickness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. So he's dead. So she said to Elijah, What do I have to do with you, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my iniquity to remembrance, and you have put my son to death. So here she is, she's mad. She's going, look, we were all set to die. You promised us this thing about God. Now all of a sudden we're all provided for and eating. But now my son's dead. This isn't right. What are you telling me? And he said to her, give me your son. And then he took him uh, from her bosom and carried him up to the upper room where he was living and laid him on his own bed. And he called to the Lord and he said, Oh my God, oh Lord, my God. Hast thou also brought calamity to the widow with whom I am staying by causing her son to die? And then he stretched himself upon the child three times and called to the Lord and said, O Lord my God, I pray thee, let this child's life return to him. And the Lord heard the voice of Elijah and the life of the child returned to him and he revived. 
And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper room into the house and gave him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son is alive. And then the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord is in your mouth uh, is truth. So it's a powerful confirmation. He's going to write, rise, raise the dead. Just as Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead and Jesus raised himself from the dead, you're seeing Elijah uh, doing a huge miracle. He's raising the dead. And uh, it's a pretty cool thing. There's Elisha is going to raise a dead person as well. You're going to watch where that's a pretty cool feat where somebody could raise the dead. Where we, you and I, if we're to be like Elijah, could lay hands on the dead and they could rise. Even though it took... Notice there's a a hint of doubt in him. And he's saying, God, what are you doing here? God, uh, we we stepped out in faith. We we told this woman something. And now look, things are looking bleak. He had to pray once, twice, three times. Three times he turns around and he has to pray the prayer and say, Lord, uh, you know, I pray that you would, uh, uh, what does he say? Uh, he stretched out himself and he said, uh, Lord, my God, I pray thee, let this child's life return to him. And so he's praying it. He must have prayed it once. It didn't happen. Prayed it twice. It didn't happen. Third time's the charm, as they say. And as he's there, he's going to sit down and say, all right, Lord, the Lord's going to hear it. And the supernatural is going to happen where the life is going to come back into this child. I find that staggering that, uh, that, that here we are being able to do something that huge. That big. And I've challenged myself many times to say, Lord, my back's against the wall. I, I put all my eggs in a basket. I'm trusting you. There's been many times in my life where I've had to sit back and, and scratch my head and says, what am I doing with my life? I put all my eggs in the one basket. Maybe I'm going to play a fool and think that this is all going to blow up. There's been many times where I said, Lord, I've given and given and given and given. And now it looks like death is in front of me. It's bleak. It's over with. And I'm going down hard for the count. And each time I seem to get through it and I go, I have no idea, Lord, how you provide, how you sustain and you do the miraculous. And I could give you countless examples of just how. Everything was looking so bleak at a certain point in my life. Everything seemed to be falling apart. Uh, you know, I think one of the hardest times was when uh, Carl was pregnant with Rebecca. We had a, a, I just lost my job. She's eight months pregnant. I'm hunting and, and searching and I'm panicking and I'm trying to say, Lord, I got my first child on the way. I'm, I'm home every day. I should be out working. I have no idea how I'm going to pay for all these things. How on earth what's going to happen? I sat down. I sweated. I worried. I toiled for a whole month until Rebecca was 30 days old, a month after she's born. Uh, I get a job. I'm... I was making six bucks an hour or something. I took any job. I took a job washing dishes, or I'm sorry, washing cars over at uh, Buckeye Nissan. And I was like, man, Lord. And you know, and and I was like, Lord, am I supposed to make it on $6 an hour with my first kid and a house payment and all the things that are going on? It's just not going to add up. The Lord's like, you've given to me, Dave. I'll take care of it. And you know, it took me until like it was six months after working at 
Buckeye Nissan. I had to step back and look at it. And, and I said, you know what? Every single one of my bills have gotten paid. Every single one of the things have been taken care of. Here I am whining and complaining that it's the end of the world. And, and I was so worried. And yet when I look at it, six months, as Rebecca's six months old, I could look back and look back and say, you know what? God's like, Dave, I gave you 30 days off to spend with your wife while she's in her ninth month of pregnancy so you could be home with her. I gave you 30 days off to spend the first time with your daughter as she's coming into this world. And all you did was whine and complain and you ruined the whole thing. I go, wow, God, you're right. You're right. I ruined that whole experience because I had no faith. I didn't trust. I was looking at it. I didn't think it was ever going to be there. And I, and, and you think about it. If I would have just stepped back and relaxed and said, Lord, it's all in your control. Lord, you've got things taken care of. Lord, I have been faithful. I've been doing everything I can. I gave my money. I've done everything. I don't have a job now. And if this is where you want me to be, I need to step back and relax, breathe deep and say, it's in God's hands. And, and, and I, I, I feel bad that I, you know, we, we fretted through that whole experience when we could have enjoyed it and relaxed a little bit more and just said, wow, praise the Lord, he'll provide. And each time God has resurrected us and provided and sooner or later we need to stop and think about that and say, well, if God's going to provide and take care of me for my tomorrow, well, then why can't I stop and enjoy today? And maybe we're going through the hardest time of our life right now. This is what we do. We shoot ourselves in the foot today because we're afraid of tomorrow. And God's saying, wait a second. You're happy today, right? You're fine today. You got plenty of food. You got a roof over your head. Everything's taken care of today. Today, everything's fine. Well, then shut up and quit worrying about tomorrow. God speaks to me like that. Slaps me around. He slaps me upside the head. And I, and I have to learn that, to say, Lord, I, I don't want to miss that. And that's the faith where you say, Lord, I, I've got now, I've got a meal. I've got a meal to give. I, I've got a cup, of, you know, I've got a little bowl of flour. I've got a little bit of oil or a little bit of water to drink. And then this is it, I'm going to die. I've got something now. You tell me to give it away, I'll take what I've got and I'll give it. And so the widow turns around and gives. And even if things turn around, there's a bump in the road. Well, what happened when it, you know, the, the kid dies? Well, we'll raise him from the dead. Isn't that the faith of Abraham? Abraham sitting down there tells us that, uh, you know, in, in Hebrews that Abraham uh, took his son Isaac up on the hill and, and he's sitting down there saying, I'm going to take this knife and bury it into my son's chest. And Hebrews telling us is that, that, that Abraham is saying, you know what? Even if I kill my son, this kid's such a supernatural miracle, God can raise him from the dead. And sometimes we have to believe that even if we're facing the bleakest circumstances, we have to be able to say, well, God can take care of it. You know, even if, you know, well, if I die, God will raise me up. If if it's God's will, nothing's going to stop it. And and that's the, the level of commitment that God's asking for us. And the more radical you can step out and trust in the Lord, the more content you can be. And definitely the, 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 the less of, of, of worry and fear is going to eat up your life and destroy it. And, and that's one of the things that Elijah is saying. We've got to be strong. You've got to be radical. And uh, you're going to watch him do even more radical things. The story gets even more exciting from there. Why don't we end it there? Any questions? Heavenly Father, we do thank you and praise you for being an awesome Godfather. And I thank you that you've provided. And you've provided even bigger and better things, Father. Uh, Just us being in this building is so humbling. 
Father, we've gone through trials and we've gone through tribulations. And yet, as you, you have been faithful, Father, to bring us through the valley of the shadow of death, I pray, Father, that you just continue to, to work in our lives, that you would continue to, to do the things that are necessary, Father, so that uh, we can uh, 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 trust in you, so that we would have the same statement as this lady, to know that uh, our God is the true God, that you, Jehovah, our God, are the true God, that you have proven yourself, Father. Father, help us not to hedge our bets. Help us to put all of our eggs in one basket. Help us to be unashamed of you, Father, because the more we trust in you, uh, the more that we know that we'll never be let down by you, that you're a good God, a caring God. And even if there's bumps in the road, Father, you are more than able to resurrect, to bring back, to redeem, and to rebuild our lives, Father. Take our lives, Father. They're yours to do with as you will. I praise you, Father, for the good things that you've given us. And I thank you, Lord, because you have worked. And, Father, if there's anyone here that's sitting on the fence, I pray, Father, that they would uh, take today, put their life into your hands, Father, and never look back. I pray, Father, that you would uh, uh, work in their lives, Father, that you would show yourself, Father, in a supernatural way to them that you are bigger than the physical realm around us and that you can do the impossible. Father, I just uh, thank you, I praise you, and I give you all the glory, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Church 860 podcast. We hope that you've enjoyed it. If you have, we ask that you would like and subscribe to the podcast so that you can get daily updates. If you'd like to know more about Church 860, please visit church860.com. Thank you. God bless.